Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Man, it's great to be with you guys today. Welcome to Sunday at ACF Church. Thank you guys for being in the room with us today. I want to welcome everybody jumping in online right now. Welcome. Thank you guys for being here. Man, we want you to know if you are watching online right now that you are part of our family. You are part of our community. And so thank you guys for taking the time to sit down with families or with groups, whether it's in your living room, your kitchen, or maybe you're just watching on the phone in the park somewhere. But thank you guys for joining us this morning. Like I said, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and we today are wrapping up a series called Flipped Upside Down. And for the last several weeks, we've been walking through this section in the book of Matthew, and we like to call it the Beatitudes, or also known as the Blessings. And what the Beatitudes actually are is it's the first section of the first sermon that Jesus ever preached. Um, Throughout the New Testament, Jesus preaches five sermons, and this is the very first one. And he starts off this whole sermon by talking what it looks like to really, truly be blessed. Blessed within the kingdom of God. And so what I'd like to do is we've been walking through these, each one kind of line by line over the last several weeks. And as we're wrapping it up today, I would ask that you guys would stand with me just out of reverence for the scripture. And we're going to read through the entire section of the Beatitudes. And if you're watching online, I would encourage you, stand up wherever you're at as we read this scripture together. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. He says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of God is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and say, or, and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You guys could have a seat. So Jesus starts off and he's talking about what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God and what it looks like and how to be blessed within the kingdom of God. And, and he walks through all of these things. And, and at, first, at first glance, when you first read them, they're, they kind of seem like opposite of what a blessing would be. But today, we're gonna, we've walked through all of these. And if you haven't seen them yet, if you weren't here for all of these blessings, I want to encourage you to go back onto our website and, and watch this series. It's been a, a really an amazing series. Um, awesome to be a part of. Just talking about God's blessings on our lives. 
But today I want to read again one more time what we're going to be focusing on and talking about today. Once again, Jesus says as he wraps up this section of his sermon, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He says, you are blessed when they insult you and they persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. He says, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Come on, can I get someone to get fired up for being persecuted today? Come on, yeah? Yeah, okay, no, no one's raising their hand. Me neither, okay, I just had to put my arm up because I'm the pastor, but no, I'm not excited about persecution. Like, talking about persecution, thinking about persecution is not something that gets me excited or fired up. And if, I'm all, if I were to take a guess and if we're all honest in this room, I think we'd all kind of say, yeah, you know what? I could, I could do without that blessing, right? I, I could do without that. Jesus, do you, do you really understand what a blessing is? Because persecution is not a blessing. It's not a blessing, right? We read this and we kind of think this, like, what, what are you trying to teach us, Jesus? Blessed when you're persecuted? That really makes no sense, But if we're going to look at the words of Jesus and we're going to study the words of Jesus, I think the first thing we need to do is ask the question, what does that mean? What what is Jesus saying here? What is he talking about that you're blessed when you're persecuted? What really it kind of feels like is like you're blessed when you're cursed. I mean, that's what it kind of feels like he's saying here. It does not sound like a blessing. And as, as Jesus goes on and he teaches these different blessings throughout the this portion of Matthew in his, in his sermon, you read through them, you hear them, and you're like, none of these actually sound like blessings. Being meek, being, being poor, being hungry, like how are these things blessing? See, Jesus, he's coming in, he's flipping upside down our thought process, flipping upside down what we see as reality, and, and he's giving us a new set of standards. He's giving us like these new values, and these standards and these values, they are in direct contrast with each other. And I would even say that even if you're a Christian in this room, even if you're someone who's been a part of the church and you've been around for a while, even you might struggle with wrapping your mind around these blessings of Jesus because they just don't seem right. Especially this last one, like you're blessed when you're persecuted. That just doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. I don't know if anyone in this room, you've ever worked at a job, a type of job, and you've worked long enough where it seems like that job just kind of gets on you, right? Like I know friends that have worked like as mechanics, and, and you go to work, and you come home every day, and you come home, and you wash your hands, but they're still, like, filthy dirty, right? You still got that grime on your hands that just never comes off. Like, that job kind of just gets on your skin. I remember when I was dating Malia, my wife now, when we were dating, uh, she worked at this little burger joint in Kashmir, Washington, called Rusty's. Okay? If you're ever in Kashmir, Washington, do yourself a favor, go to Rusty's. Get a rusty burger, fry, and a peanut butter chocolate shake. It does not disappoint, okay? If you ever find yourself there, that's a freebie, but take some notes. You're going to want that. But, so she worked at Rusty's, and Rusty's was this little drive-in place, right? You didn't go inside. It was this tiny little restaurant. And Rusty's was the type of place where they, like, deep fry their oil before, like, they deep fry the fries in the oil, right? Like, it's that place where it's, like, the buildup on the bottom of that deep fryer is, like, thick, 
right? You use it to grease engine parts and fry your food. And she worked there for a while, and I remember, like, she'd get off work, and she'd, like, come to my parents' house, and I would be sitting there maybe watching TV, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, Malia's pulling up. I can smell her coming in. Like, that smell just got on you, and, and she'd come and sit next to me on the couch, and it was that type of thing where it's like, I'm like, I think my cholesterol's rising right now as you're sitting next to me. It wasn't like, oh, the smell of French fries as someone walks in with a new thing of French fries. It was just like grease. But it was so like thick in that place that she worked where it got, got in her hair, it got on her clothes, and like she only had like a certain set of clothes she could wear to work because like you'd wash them, but the smell wouldn't come out of them. It was like on her. Right, and I remember one time asking her, like, how do, you, how do you go to work? How do you do this? How do you go in this place where it just smells like that all day long and just not have it drive you crazy? And I remember she looked at me and she was talking. And she's like, well, you, you get to work and you start working and you, just, you don't smell anymore. It's like, that's the smell of the air. It's deep fried air, right? It's just, that's what it smells like. You don't, you don't think about it anymore. It's just, that's what you're used to. You're used to that smell. And I think... It's a great analogy for us as we look at this place we live, this mindset that we have. You see, the, the, the catch is this. We called this series Flipped Upside Down because we talk about how Jesus came and he flipped everything upside down, but that's actually not the truth. The truth of the matter is, is that we are the ones who are upside down. Jesus' kingdom is not upside down. Our kingdom is. See, God created it a very specific way. He, he designed this world to operate and work in a specific way, and then sin entered the world on our account, and it twisted everything up. And what ended up happening is we got flipped upside down, but we got so used to it. We got so used to that smell of sin in the world that when Jesus comes to turn everything right side up, turn everything right again, it says that he came to make all things new, to make it correct, we're going, that doesn't smell right. Something's off. That Jesus, like, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's right. Because we're so accustomed to the smell. We're so used to it. You see, the kingdom of the world tells us that you're blessed when you're rich. You're blessed when you're strong. You're blessed when you're full. You're blessed when you're a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker. You're, you're blessed when you're loved by everybody. See, our standards are in direct opposition of each other. The standard of the world and the standard of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is here to teach us the kingdom standards, which are so much better. I love this quote by John Stott. He says, yet in all this, the values and standards of Jesus are in direct conflict with the commonly accepted values and standards of the world. The world judges the rich to be blessed, not the poor whether in the material or in the spiritual sphere, the happy-go-lucky and the carefree, not those who take evil so seriously that they mourn over it, the strong and the brash, not the meek and the gentle, the full, not the hungry, those who mind their own business, not those who meddle in other men's matters and occupy their time and do goodery, like showing mercy and making peace. Those who attain their ends, even if necessary, by devious means. Not the pure in heart, those who refuse to compromise their integrity. Those who are secure and popular and live at ease. Not those who have, suff who have to suffer persecution. 
See, these values, they're in direct conflict with each other, but we've, we've been in the kitchen for so long, right? We've been in that place for so long that even as Christians, as we leave this, the, this kingdom of the world and we, we get entered into the kingdom of God, we bring with it this smell sometimes, what God has purified our hearts, and yet our flesh is still going, I don't know if this smells right. Right? These, these values don't seem right. Like, no, blessed are those who are like powerful and have everything they want, right? That, that's how you know you're blessed. And even as Christians, we can fight with this in our minds sometime and we can still go after the things of the world. It's why Paul talks about, he says, look, those things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. It's this battle and, and it's still around us and we still fight it. But Jesus is here to show us the way of the kingdom of God. You see, what I just read for you in direct contrast to that, I think a great example of the way the world tries to work is there was a philosopher named Frederick Nietzsche in the late, 1800, in the late 1800s, and, and he was a philosopher, and a lot of his philosophy still impacts the West today. And, and Frederick Nietzsche was, was pretty anti-God, but he wasn't necessarily probably anti-God for the reasons you think he would be. Uh, he, he coined the phrase that God is dead, and he, he was referring to God is dead to, like, modern man at the time. Like, man no longer needs God. We're God. Man used to need God. They don't need God anymore. We've come beyond that. In 1888, he wrote a book called The Antichrist, and he was referring to himself as the Antichrist. And, and it wasn't the Antichrist, like, coming out of the book of Revelation, but what it was was he was standing. He was anti-everything that Christ was, and let me explain See, he defines what is good as this, all that heightens the feeling of power, the will to power, power itself in man, and what is bad is all that proceeds from weakness. See, Nishi believed that you got to be strong enough to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You got to be strong enough to get out of that thing that's, that's like, that's bad for you. You got to be strong enough to like progress to the next level like it all comes from you and you alone and no one else and you better be strong enough and if you're weak then then there's no place for you here on this earth that we all are going to evolve to this place through our own strength of being able to pull ourselves away from the things that destroy us that we do to ourselves Nishi wrote this in the book antichrist he said what is more harmful than any vice acts of sympathy for the ill-constituted and the weak, Christianity. What is worse than any other vice? Sympathy for those that are weak. You see, when we kind of hear that and we go, oh, that's, that's pretty terrible. That's pretty terrible. But at the same time, I think we can find ourselves drawn to that same conclusion. Maybe not consciously, but we go, man, no, the, the, the guy that's got the corner office, that's got way more money than I do, that has all the toys that I don't have, like, that's the dude that's blessed. That's what I'm going after. That's where blessing lies. And, 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 and we, we get confused because we've been in this kingdom for so long. See, Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. But there's a caveat there. He doesn't stop right there. He actually, there, there's, it's not just being persecuted for persecution's sake. He actually says this. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. See, it's not being persecuted just for persecution's sake. 
It's being persecuted for a very specific reason, and that reason is righteousness. And I think a lot of times we can, um, we can change that word righteousness around just a little bit. It's just a super subtle change. And maybe we read this, or maybe we've heard this, or maybe we just kind of instinctively feel this. It's a small change, but it makes a big difference. And, and a lot of times I think what we say or what we believe are blessed are those who are persecuted because of self-righteousness. Right? We, we, we really enjoy being persecuted when it, we feel like it's for self-righteous reasons. You know, an example of those, right? Like maybe it's blessed are those who are persecuted for wearing a mask. Blessed are those who are persecuted for not wearing a mask. I stepped on everyone's toes, I think, in the room. Mission accomplished. Right? Like, we, we, we get on these, these soapboxes. We find these hills that we're wanting to die on. But it's not for righteousness' sake. It's for self-righteousness' sake. Like, I'm just going to prove you right, and I'm going to charge after this thing and mow everyone down that gets in my way. And if I get persecuted along the way, well, Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, Right? Like, I remember in high school, myself, like, talking to my friends and witnessing to them, and I'm like, hey, let me explain to you why Jesus loves you and why you're a complete moron for not believing it, okay? <laughs> Nobody seems to like me. So persecuted for righteousness, right? Jesus said I'll be persecuted. No, I was being a jerk. Maybe you're persecuted for being a jerk. That happens too, and Jesus says there's no blessing in that, but it's this pursuit of righteousness, this pursuit of righteousness, this is a big deal. It's the only thing that Jesus mentions twice in the Beatitudes as pursuing. He says, look, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then later on he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. What, what is this thing, righteousness? You see, Jesus is calling us to this crazy, wild, radical thing called righteousness. What is righteousness? You see, simply put, righteousness is living rightly with God, right? It's about living out these things that Jesus just talked about, meekness, humility, mercy, hunger for righteousness, right? Being a peacemaker, that it, living that out is righteousness, but then I think there's a verb form of righteousness, and it's something that's, it's, it's a different word, but when you live righteousness now, really what you're living out is evangelism. See, I think that word for righteousness can, can be, you can use the same word evangelism in that because I don't think that you can pursue righteousness and not live a life of evangelism. And what does that mean, evangelism? Does that mean that you're the person down on the street corner holding up a cardboard sign? No, it doesn't mean that. It can, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't mean evangelism. Oh, those are the people that go on mission trips. And if I go on mission trips, then I'm doing evangelism. Well, that can be a part of it, but that's, that's not what we're talking about here, pursuing righteousness. At least that's not solely what we're talking about here. See, living a life pursuing righteousness, if you pursue righteousness, you are automatically going to be living this life of evangelism. In other words, you're going to be living a life that proclaims Jesus. You're going to be living a life that proclaims the kingdom of God. You're going to be living a life that proclaims the good news of the gospel. It, it, it's not like I have to try to do it. If I'm pursuing righteousness, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm automatically doing is living this life of evangelism by pursuing righteousness. 
And so I was thinking about it, though. I was like, we tend to kind of drift towards the opposite of these blessings that Jesus was talking about, right? Like when he says, blessed are the meek, we tend to want to be strong, right? When he says, you know, blessed are those who are hungry, we tend to want to be filled. So I was thinking about it. I was like, what is the opposite of persecution when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness? And, 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 and the opposite of persecution is safe living. Safe living is the opposite of persecution. See, not going all in, not doing whatever it takes, not dreaming bigger than outside of yourself, not being willing to reach others with the gospel no matter what it takes. That's safe living. And I believe, as Christians, I believe we insult God with our safe living attitude because God has got something so much bigger for us. He has a life that is bigger than our own life. And when we live a life that's just about us, it becomes very small. And it is not what God intended for us. You see, these Beatitudes, what they are is they are the description of a disciple of Jesus. John Stott says this, the Beatitudes paint a comprehensive portrait of a Christian disciple. We see him first alone on his knees before God, acknowledging his spiritual poverty and mourning over it. This makes him meek or gentle in all his relationships. Since honesty compels him to allow others to think of him what before God he confesses himself to be, yet far from acquiescing in his sinfulness, For he hungers and thirsts after righteousness, longing to grow in grace and goodness. We see him next with others in human community. His relationship with God does not cause him to withdraw from society nor uh, insulate himself from the world's pain. On the contrary, he is in the thick of it, showing mercy to those battered by adversity and sin. He is... uh, He is transparently sincere in all his dealings and seeks to play a constructive role as a peacemaker. Yet he is not thanked for his efforts, but rather opposed, slandered, insulted, and persecuted on the account of righteousness for which he stands and the Christ from from whom he is identified. Such is the man or woman who is blessed. That is, who has the approval of God and finds self-fulfillment as a human being. You see, what is on the opposite end of persecution? It is receiving the kingdom of God, and it is the approval of God, and that there is a peace and a blessing with that that you cannot experience and will not experience aside from that, apart from that. You see, how are we to react when we're persecuted? What are we supposed to do? I love this. Jesus says it right here in verse 12. He says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. We are to be glad and rejoice. I love the story of of Peter and John in Acts. They go and they stand before, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, which is basically like their court system. And they go on, they're, they're put on trial, and, and, and what they do is they testify to Jesus. And as they testify to Jesus, uh, they, they are, they're, they're persecuted, and, and they're mocked. And this is what it says in Acts. It says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Is that crazy? 
that they left the council rejoicing. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. See, there's a blessing that comes. There's a blessing that comes with the pursuit of righteousness. You see, persecution will come. Persecution will come. We don't go and seek out persecution. It'll come, and it'll come at the pursuit of righteousness. So the question is, the question, church, is one question we need to ask ourselves today, this morning, and and it's the question I've been asking myself all week as I've been preparing for this message, and that is this. Do you live a life worth persecuting? Do you live a life worth persecuting? Do I live a life worth persecuting. It's interesting when you think about blessings and talk about blessings. You know, growing up my whole life, I've said this phrase, and and we've probably all said it in this room, that we are so blessed to be able to worship God freely in this country. We're so blessed to be able to worship God freely in this country. But after I was reading this and just praying about this, I realized that statement is not true. It's an incorrect statement. I believe we can say that we are so fortunate to be able to worship God in this country. That is a true statement. We are so fortunate. And on top of that, I am exceedingly grateful to be able to worship God freely in this country. But as we look at blessings Church, I want to talk to you for just a minute here. We dare not think that we are more blessed because we get to worship God freely in this country than, say, the persecuted church in Sudan right now that is absolutely under attack. Christians are dying every single day in Sudan. We are not more blessed than them. We are not more blessed than the underground persecuted church of China who for decades have been being put into prison or executed for having faith in Jesus, we're not more blessed than them. And honestly, if you look at the scripture here, an argument can be made that they're more blessed than we are. If, if blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, they, are, they have been deemed worthy of being persecuted for the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we, are, we never taste persecution here in the United States for our faith. I'm not saying that at all. Absolutely, we have. But definitely not to, to the degree that, other, that the church is in many parts of the world. And we experience it too here ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, man, this is such a, a, a difficult truth to admit, but... For myself, here's the truth, and I think many of us can feel this. As a Christian, I want to be 100% obedient to God, and I want to be 100% comfortable. And that's a struggle inside of me. That's a struggle inside of me that I want to be 100% obedient to God and 100% comfortable. And the truth of the matter is, you can't do that. That's undoable because obedience to God is to pull us out of our comfort zone. Our obedience to God is to put us in places that we didn't really want to be. Like Jesus says to Peter, he says, look, when you're older, you're going to go where you do not want to go. 
But you see, it's not all about just like, oh, well, so the Christian life's about being miserable. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I do want reality to be told to some people in here that maybe believe a false gospel that when you say yes to Jesus, it's just easy for you. Everything just gets better. Everything seems to go your way. That's not the truth either. You see, being obedient to Jesus is to be put in difficult situations where I might even be persecuted, where I might even lose my life, at least on this earth. Jesus is rarely, if ever, concerned about safety for us. He's concerned about our pursuit of righteousness in him. But the truth is, the catch is, and again, we gotta get our values flipped right side up. In that is where you find blessing. In that is where you find joy. In that is where you can actually find peace. See, Jesus himself says, as we try to pursue both obedience and comfort, Jesus says himself, listen to Jesus' words. He says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. It's like, Wait, what? Now, that doesn't make sense. Isn't that the purpose of life, to get everyone to like me? I work really hard to get everyone to like me. And Jesus says, no, woe to you when everyone speaks well about you. You see, pursuing righteousness, automatically people will come against that. Why? Because it causes us to do things like be a peacemaker. I love the quote I read er earlier, the word do-goodery, he says in there, John Stott. When men do do do-goodery in other people's life, like work for justice, pursue mercy, that makes people upset. And so when you do that, you will be persecuted. But it's okay because you're pursuing God and there's a fulfillment in that. Paul writes to Timothy, and this is what he says to Timothy. He says it just pretty matter-of-factly, pretty plainly. He says this, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Thanks, Paul. Makes me feel good. That's not the message I'm telling my neighbor to get them to come to church. Hey, you want to be persecuted? You should come to church with me next Sunday. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Sometimes we forget that part of it. I want to be 100% obedient. I still want to be 100% comfortable. There's this battle that goes on. I read this the other day, and it was by a missionary who spent some time with the persecuted church all over the world. And this is what he wrote. He said, it is moving and significant that the suffering church in lands where it is oppressed does not want to be like the church in the West. It looks for our prayers, not that it may have an easy time, but that it may be faithful unto death and know the joy of utter faithfulness to Jesus. There is no joy like that. You see, in in complete pursuit of Jesus, there is a joy in your soul that cannot be taken away by your circumstances, that cannot be extinguished by what's ever going on around you. And it only builds, and it can only build. And their ultimate goal is what? That they of utter faithfulness. Bonhoeffer puts it like this. He says, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Following Christ means passio passiva, suffering because we have to suffer. That is why Luther reckoned suffering among the marks of a true church and defines the church as a community of those 
who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ and is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. See, this, this is kind of a hard message to hear. Be honest with you, a little secret, it's kind of a hard message to preach. And I was thinking about it, and, and can I be, I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably a good thing to be honest when you're a pastor, but I'm not going to lie to you right now. I was working on this message, and I was actually getting, like, a little depressed. Like, man, I don't want to suffer, God. I don't want to be persecuted. How, how is there good news in this? I was praying about it, and then it, and it, the Holy Spirit struck me like lightning. Because I know within the kingdom of God that there is peace and that there is joy. I know that the things that Jesus comes and he brings to the table and that he offers us is hope, not discouragement. And so where is the hope in this? And I started to realize something. I started to realize that what Jesus brings to us is the truth, is authenticity, is the way it actually is. But we've believed the lie of the kingdom of the world for so long, we smell it, and it makes sense to us that it's hard to get our minds back to what's reality. In other words, we believe like, man, if I pursue money, if I climb the mountain of finances and obtain everything I ever wanted financially, then I'll be happy. Or if I obtain everything I ever hoped for in relationships, then I'll be happy. Or if I obtain everything I ever hoped for in, in entertainment and experiencing things in this world, adventure, then I'll be happy and then there'll be fulfillment. But the reality is at the summit of every one of those mountains is nothing but empty. And everyone who's ever summited that mountain completely would tell you the same thing. It's why we see so many people in those positions depressed in life or committing suicide and all those things. People like Robin Williams, who's like the epitome of joy and laughter, and yet it was nothing but darkness because these things that we aspire after are just empty. They don't fulfill. It's a lie from the kingdom of this earth. But then Jesus is like, I'm trying to make everything right. When you pursue meekness, you will be filled. When you pursue righteousness, you will be filled and you'll hunger for more. But the more you hunger for, the more you'll be filled with it. And it will satisfy you. When you pursue mercy, you know what you're going to get? Mercy in return. When you pursue righteousness, or when you, pursue, uh, when you pursue righteousness and you're persecuted for it, you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. There's something there that doesn't matter what is going on around you in your circumstances. It can't be taken away from you. And there's a filling there, and there's a joy there. I love it. In Romans, Paul writes that the kingdom of God is three things. He says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So when you pursue righteousness, what you enter into and what you receive is peace and joy in your life. And it, it, it's not circumstantial. It doesn't matter who is president of the United States. It doesn't matter what mask or not mask you should be or should not be wearing or what happening with COVID or what your finances are doing right now or what sickness may strike your family. Like all of those things are important things. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not trying to say they're, they're not important. But no matter what's happening in your life, when you pursue the kingdom of God and pursue righteousness, 
You're going to walk in peace and joy no matter what is going on around you because that is the promise of God and that is what you experience. But the truth of the matter is, the reality is when you pursue righteousness, you'll also be persecuted because the world kind of comes against that. And so don't be shocked or surprised when you're persecuted in these things. See, Jesus tells us, he says, look, I came to give you a life and give it to you abundantly, give you a full life. That is why I am here. And he's talking about this life right now, right here, today, this moment, you can have a full life in him, regardless of what's going on. Those are the promises of God, and that is the kingdom of God. See, but for myself, I I so desperately want to pursue a safe life. I want to pursue a safe life. See, a safe life is all about living for me, but a full life is all about living for him. See, Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you to the full. But that means going fully after Jesus. But a safe life just makes it all about me. My life is about me and nothing else outside of me. And that that is pretty small and that is pretty empty. And so I just kind of want to wrap up with this, right? I want us to be encouraged today that God has something for you, something so much better than what this kingdom of the world offers you, and that he's trying to turn things right side up. And I know it's, I know it can be difficult. I mean, this is difficult for me. But I want to give us a few takeaways, something we can try to put into action this week on how to pursue righteousness, and I just, I just titled it like this, How to Love the Unsafe Life, okay? How to love the unsafe life. How do we do this? Because this is difficult. I can't just necessarily turn this switch on and leave this room and go, okay, I'm gonna be unsafe with my life. I'm pursuing righteousness from here on out. We're good. How do, how do we do this? How do I love the unsafe life? Point number one is this, be radical about the basics, Be radical about the basics. And what that means is this. So often, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, or maybe you're not a Christian, but you've heard these things before. Like, what do Christians do? Oh, they read their Bibles, they pray to God, they go to church, they worship, right? Like, oh, those are just kind of the basic things. You do that, but then you advance past those things, right? We think that. But absolutely not. We don't advance past these things. Be radical about the basics. When you look at the life of Jesus, that's all he was about. He was about getting away with his father, praying. Every time before he'd go into something major, some major ministry or something like that, he's praying. Right? He's worshiping. That that if, if Sunday is the only time we worship God, give thanks to God for everything he is to us, then we are definitely not doing it enough. Every day, moment by moment, we should be in this attitude of worship and gratefulness to God, to know the scriptures, know what the word of God says. Like there's promises in there that are for you, but if you don't know them, you can't call upon those things. So be radical about the basics. The next one is this. When the fun ends, go back to your first love. When the fun ends, go back to your first love. I know so many people, they say yes to Jesus, and there is a fire in their eyes, and it's awesome to see. 
and life starts to go on and things can creep back into our lives and kind of take that away or, or maybe just reality sets in of like, man, life's still difficult. Maybe we start having doubts. Maybe we start having questions. And we're like, man, is this even actually worth it? Man, when the fun ends, go back to your first love. Remember what drew you in. Remember the forgiveness of Jesus. Remember receiving mercy. Remember receiving grace. And let that be that foundation. Let Jesus be the foundation. And, and other things, they will work themselves out. The questions you have, ask them. Don't be afraid of your doubts. Ask your doubts. Talk about your struggles. You're going to have them. The Christian life is not about an easy life. We've established that. But talk about your struggles. But when the fun ends, go back to your first love. The next one is this. Remember and trust God's promises. Remember and trust God's promises, that God has promised you things in this life. And it is not that you would have an easy life, but he does promise things to you. Well, what are those things? Well, there's a lot of them. Again, refer back to number one. Be radical about the basics. Know what's in the word of God. But some, real quickly, some of those simple promises are this. When you hunger after righteousness, you'll be filled. Right, we just got done for the last several weeks going through them. When you're meek, right, you'll inherit the earth. When you mourn, you'll be comforted. Like these are promises of God. You can call on those things when you're mourning. God, you said you would comfort. When we're mourning, I pray you'd comfort me now. And comfort doesn't mean the pain goes away, the sadness goes away, but it means you know God is with you in the moment and that he's the one holding you up and sustaining you. Call on those promises the next one is this, ask God to increase your faith. Ask God to increase your faith. Did you know that your faith is not your own? Did you know you're just not smart enough to figure God out one day? That he's given you the very faith that you have in him? One of my favorite, favorite stories in the entire Bible is about a father whose daughter's dying and he goes to Jesus and he says, please heal my daughter. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can heal her? I love the response from the Father because it is so real and it is so authentic. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. That reality of, God, I believe you can do anything, but oh, I don't know if I believe that you're gonna do it right now. Ask God to increase your faith. That's biblical. We're told to ask for more faith. And finally, the last one is this. This is a dangerous one. This is a dangerous one to pray. And I believe that this is one that God loves to answer. And that is this. Ask God to break your heart for what breaks his. When you pray that, I believe that is one prayer that God is like, yes, I'm waiting for you. Here you go. And when your heart breaks for what breaks his, all of a sudden you kind of realize these hills that I've been, been trying to die on, fight for, maybe they weren't the best things to be fighting for or dying for. But there are things that are worth fighting for and dying for. There are, things, there are battles worth fighting. And God's broken my heart for the orphans. And he's broken my heart for the widows. And he's broken my heart for the poor and the desolate. And when he breaks my heart for that, all of a sudden, these are the things I understand and I can go after and I can pursue as I pursue righteousness. It's like I'm pursuing the two of them together. 
God will answer that prayer. So this is how to love the unsafe life. How to not be afraid of it, but to understand this is where true fulfillment and blessing comes from. See, maybe you're in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus before. Or maybe you said kind of yes to this Jesus or the idea of like everything will just go my way if I say yes to Jesus. So sure, I'll say yes to him. And wait a second, it's not going my way. I was, I was lied to. But if you're in this room today and you've never said yes to Jesus before, but maybe you're understanding and hearing for the first time, okay, it's not all about it just going my way. In fact, it's about not really going my way at all. It's about not living for me, but living for Christ. But within that, there's fulfillment and sustainment that I will never experience outside of it, outside of the kingdom of God, that I've been lied to by the kingdom of this earth. That's you today, and you want to say yes to Jesus, and you want to put your life in his hands and enter into his kingdom right now where you're sitting. You can do that right now. Say, Jesus, that's what I want. I want to enter into this kingdom where you are the blessings in my life. And church, maybe you've been, like me, working so hard to obey God, but be comfortable. And if that's been you, I want to challenge you, look at that in your life, repent for that, and pursue Jesus with all that you have. Pursue righteousness with everything in you, and know persecution will come. But right there is blessing waiting for you as well. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are God. I thank you, God, that you are with us, that you have so much for us, that what you offer is so much better than what the kingdom of this earth offers us, that the lie that we believe for so long can't even hold a candle to the greatness and the fullness and the peace and the joy that you offer us today, right now. God, that you came Jesus, you came and you came and said, I come to give you life and give it to you the full. God, I pray that we would experience that full life today. God, forgive us for pursuing comfort in our life, even over obedience to you. It's hard, God. It's hard, Jesus. Give us the faith that we need to pursue you, to pursue righteousness, and to stand faithful in the face of of persecution. God, may we be found faithful when persecution comes our way. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.